we don't want to pigeonhole them, right? Because our expectations for them can be self-fulfilling prophecies. You know, we can we can treat them a certain way without giving them the opportunity to grow in depth or, or whatever changes they're making. And our kids are like a river you never step into twice, right? And they are growing and changing so, so fast. And it's the same with us, of course, too, but it happens more slowly. But with our kids we can easily say like, he's the sporty one, she's the hyperactive one, whatever, right? They always do this, they never do this kind of thing. And I think it really gives them an opportunity to grow when we can say, huh, I wonder who you are today. I'm Debbie Reber and welcome to Tilt Parenting, a podcast featuring interviews and conversations aimed at inspiring, informing and supporting parents raising differently wired kids. So we have talked about mindfulness on this show before. And if you're in my differently wired club, you know that mindfulness meditation is something I explore from time to time, but really struggle with implementing in the way I think I'm supposed to like, I always feel like I'm doing it wrong, or it's just not for me. But As my guest today, Hunter Clark Fields explains, there are many accessible ways to practice mindfulness, even for people like me who feel like they can't or don't want to slow down. And there's just no disputing the powerful way that mindfulness can support us and helping us be more present, more grounded, more calm, more open, and more curious when navigating all the big challenging stuff with our neurodivergent kids. And as you'll hear me say multiple times in this conversation, the way Hunter walks us through mindfulness is a reality check to show us how simple and truly doable it can be. If you don't know Hunter yet, she's a mindfulness mentor, the host of the Mindful Parenting Podcast, a mom, and a global speaker. I actually had Hunter on this show a few years ago to talk about her best-selling book, Raising Good Humans. And today, in addition to exploring mindfulness, Hunter is going to share with us her newest book called Raising Good Humans Every Day. Hunter has more than 20 years of experience in meditation and yoga practices, and she helps moms bring more calm and family cooperation into their daily lives, presents talks on parenting, and is a certified teacher of parent effectiveness training. During our conversation, Hunter demonstrates a few mindful techniques to regulate yourself when you need it that are very doable, even if you have only three minutes. I've actually been doing them since we recorded this, and I'm still at it. Hunter also shared strategies to show our kids compassion when they're struggling and introduces us to what has become one of my most favorite positive self-talk phrases, permission to be human. As a reminder, when we have less than brilliant parenting or life moments, she ended this conversation with a beautiful reflection on why it's important to see our kids for who they are and be willing to open up to the changes that happen every day for them. This is a very grounding conversation, a gentle yet powerful reminder of ways in which we can support ourselves, our own regulation and our capacity to be a supportive, calming presence for our kids. I hope you enjoy it. Hey, Hunter, welcome back to the podcast. I am very happy to be here, Debbie. Thank you. Of course. When I have repeat guests, I always go back and see what was going on when we last spoke. And I realized your episode with me aired on March 10th, 2020. Wow. Now we recorded it before. (laughs) Wow. Right? Very, it's like pretty important moment in time. We recorded it prior to that, but so much has changed in these past couple of years. And we had no idea what was to come when we had that conversation. So I would love even just to start this, I'd like to kind of hear from you what's up in your world, what has happened in your work and the way that you show up and support families in the past three years with what we've been through. Oh my gosh. I mean, it's a lot. We talked then about my first book, Raising Good Humans. And I think that, I think in a a lot of ways, like in a weird way, the pandemic helped this book because I was like, I wrote a book. It's amazing. Wow. Like that's Great. And then I was just amazed in 2021 when this book started doing really, really well. And I think that people were so desperate for help with their kids home, you know, in this year, second year, all this like pandemic stuff. I think that maybe that 
it helped the book do really well. I don't know. I also think some people in Audible, I thank you people in Audible for putting it on your front page for a little while. But yeah, in that time, you know, I, w- I was working with some mindful parenting teacher trainers, and it just felt like having these, these people that I worked with in the membership that I run, and it was like a, such a grounding factor to just connect with people every week to talk about what's happening, to talk about how hard it was, and to have those sort of grounding elements of just offering each other the compassion and the tools of self-compassion really, really seemed to help enormously in in that time. Yeah, in that in March of 2020, I was there was a live retreat that I was going to be doing on March 13th of 2020 that I was like, I'll I'll push forward for like five weeks. And then, <laughs> and then we ended up having to cancel it all together. We had ne- haven't done another one, but we are planning a new one next year. But yeah, since then, I've done a lot of a lot more speaking, I guess, like doing talks and traveling to various places to do talks. And that's been something that's been new for me since then. That's really cool. Listeners, when Hunter was on the show in that fateful month in 2020, we were talking about her book, which was new at the time. It's called Raising Good Humans, A Mindful Guide to Breaking the Cycle of Reactive Parenting and Raising Kind, Confident Kids. And it's such a good book. And it really did take off. And that was really exciting to see. I'll have a link in the show notes pages. So listeners, if you haven't heard that episode, definitely go back and listen to it. Maybe even give us a top line of that book, though, for the context for this conversation, because I know that your work has kind of continued to evolve out of that. Sure. Yeah. Raising Good Humans is basically, it goes over the work that we do in mindful parenting. And basically, it's the idea that it kind of comes from this place of me struggling, having a really hard time when my daughters were little and just having frustration and my temper arising. And listening to all these wonderful parenting coaches have really good advice really great things to say, really wonderful ways to respond to your kids that I just could not implement because I was like losing it. I was frustrated. It was really hard. And I realized that a lot of this parenting advice kind of assumed a baseline of like utter perfection on the side of the parent. No challenges, no personal feelings or things that might get in the way of you responding perfectly to your child. And so I realized there was all this work from the mindfulness world that needed to talk to the parenting world and that I had been studying mindfulness for a long time since I was a teenager just to help me with my own intense feelings and you know mental challenges and and waves and I realized that like all this this work in the mindfulness world really helps us to be so much less reactive right and of course and then we're less reactive we can use our whole brain and it's an interesting for you know talking of course to you here at tilt about the idea of guiding attention and strengthening attention your ability to direct your attention when it wanders you know it's kind of like mindfulness in, in a lot of ways like the antidote in some ways you know or one of the many obviously it's about directing attention but it for parents it's about helping us use our whole brain, helping us get to that grounded place, helping us to process our feelings, all of this inner work, helping us to understand when we're triggered, when stuff from our childhood is coming up, all of this comes into then when we do all that, then we can communicate much more skillfully. And so it includes raising good humans includes how to be less reactive, because I'm very, very practical, I want to know how to do it. And how then to talk to your kids so you don't trigger more resistance. Yeah, I love that you kind of really targeted that assumed baseline of perfection, as you call it. I think that that's something so many of us struggle with is this sense of what we're going through is more extreme, it's more challenging. And so we're already feeling as if we're maybe drowning in some ways or just really struggling to to navigate things. And so it's really hard to then step into a practice when there's all these layers of, you talked about being reactive, raising your voice. And many of us just are showing up in ways that we may not be proud of or you know aren't our finest parenting moments. Yes, I can completely <laughs> relate to the, that experience. <laughs> yes. But I think that's the thing is like those things that are not our finest parenting moments, those are the moments that are showing us what we value, I think, right? Like they're really markers for our values because what 
feels crappy when we yell at our kids or raise our voice and we're all snippy and frustrated, right? Those point to, well, this doesn't feel good because you value kind communication, you value respectful communication, you value you may be taking responsibility for your own feelings, right? And doing some of the work to process your own feelings so you're not laying it on your kids. I think that's okay. You know, we we have to mess up. We're going to mess up. It's not possible not to mess up. <laughs> it's just, can we acknowledge that place of the discomfort, right? Can we say, this didn't feel good? Can this be, what do I need to learn from this, right? And then go from there rather than, I never want to think about that moment. I'm just going to squash it down and push it away. And then we can't learn from it. I mean, that's the thing that's really hard to do, but it's it's so important is to just say, okay, I'm going to be human. I'm going to mess up and I'm going to keep beginning anew again and again and again and again and again. And eventually what we practice grows stronger. Yes. What I love about what you just shared is that noticing when those things come up for us, we feel that shame or we kind of have that feeling of discomfort because of something we did or said or how we're reacting in a moment that that is, that's actually an invitation to lean in. It's drawing our attention to something that we can learn from, that we can grow from. So rather than pushing it away or feeling bad about it, if we turn towards it, then there's a big opportunity there. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. It's showing you what matters to you. And if this matters to you, if being with your kids in such a way that you can communicate more from the heart and things like that, if that matters to you, and then you go sort of against that value and that hurts, that's it's actually like kind of like, oh, okay, well, it's an indicator of, of this beautiful value you have of heartfelt communication. And I think that's a way to look at it. And so we're, we learn best from our mistakes. <laughs> and we have to give ourselves this soft landing. So in, in Raising Good Humans and Mindful Parenting, we talk a lot about self-compassion and practicing self-compassion because that piece about messing up, it just happens. It keeps happening. We're, we keep being human. Sometimes we think, I mean, I've definitely been guilty of this. Sometimes I think, gosh, I've been, I've been meditating for so many years now, I'm going to just be like floating on a cloud and everything's going to be great. You know, it's just not true. <laughs> Life still happens. You still have all the anxieties. Like there's still real challenges that happen. All of these things, you still get angry. All that stuff happens. What these things do is when you've practiced saying, you know, and you've practiced accepting my mis- like I uh, practiced accepting my mistakes. Like, oh, okay, anger, there you are. Hello, anxiety, there you are again. Uh, hello, old friend, I see you there. Hello, frustration and snipping at my kids. Gosh, I'm there it is again. Right. When you practice accepting that and you can allow it, and then you can allow yourself to be human. And I say this to myself, like, you know, I, I've written this like crazy book. I have teach people to teach mindful parenting. And I still make mistakes. And so I say to myself, Hunter permission to be human, you know, permission to be human. And when we can give ourselves this permission to do what we're going to do anyway, which is make some mistakes, the beauty of that is it ends up being like very, very practical because then we can just, we give ourselves that soft landing. We can get up again. We can recover more quickly. We can practice what we actually want, how we want to be and how we want to live more quickly and that repair and repair more quickly. And that's really what it's all about is beginning again. I love that. And I love that you kind of spoke to your own humanness because we know each other. Actually, I feel like we met in person. We did. At yes. Zen Parenting, also in March, right? Before the world yes. shut down. We're friends and I also follow you on social media and your Instagram's awesome, by the way. So listeners definitely check out Hunter's Instagram feed where you share great tips and you just have such a presence. And Every time I see you doing it like a reel or something, I'm like, oh my God, this woman just so has it together. She just exudes this like zen, like calm, and it's like goals for me. You know what I mean? So I appreciate you sharing that it doesn't mean that you're not experiencing this stuff. I love this language, permission to be human. Like I need to write that down in multiple places in my home, I think. Is that really the key for you is just like, oh, there you are and it's okay. 
Yeah, actually, I've been doing some more speaking. And last weekend before recording this, I flew out to Laramie, Wyoming, and I did a keynote talk and a workshop the next morning. It was great. It was wonderful. But on my way out to Laramie, it takes so long to get there. I was in the Denver airport for four hours. Anyway, I got super anxious on the way out. And I was like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this thing? I ended up in the airport, like I called my husband and I was like, I'm just feeling like, I don't know why I'm doing this. Like, I I don't know if I'm good enough to do this. All of those things. I had a little cry in the airport and then I was like, okay, all right, here it is. But I had the, like you said, like I have those resources, right? So I took out my little notebook. I wrote down what I was feeling. I wrote it all out. And then that provided some relief. And then I put on a meditation, one specifically for anxiety that's in the Insight Timer app. The combination of those two things really helped me. And I just saw, oh, this was a wave and the wave has passed. And if I if I continued to try to like just pretend the wave of anxiety wasn't there and just keep going, it would like those feelings end up being like, I like to think of them, they're like little toddlers who are like tugging your leg and they're like, they want attention. And you're just like, no, no, no. And they are just relentless, right? Like they do not go away until we process them, right? Until we like digest them. And that is so important. So, so yeah, so I took that time to process and digest it and then it was okay. It was fine. And then I felt excited and I I felt like it was like one of the best talks I had done. And somehow was, I think that processing really, really helped me to then get back into what matters most for me, right? Which is like connecting. That's great. Thanks for sharing that. I've had similar moments. So I feel even closer to you now knowing that you go through that same kind of pre-talk anxiety. I want to talk a little bit about mindfulness, what it actually looks like. And then we'll talk about your new book. And we will do that after a quick break. This year, I've been working on becoming more attuned to my body. And so I'm starting to really recognize how periodic spikes in anxiety or disruptions to my routines can seriously throw my whole system off. And as I've been traveling a ton this past month, which is both disruptive and somewhat stressful, I'm especially glad that I have the extra support of Symbiotic Plus, a three-in-one supplement from Ritual with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Symbiotic Plus provides fuel to the cells that make up the gut lining to support a healthy gut barrier. And it comes in this very cool minty delayed release capsule, which was specifically designed to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract for delivery to the colon. The bonus is that the capsules don't need to be refrigerated, so I can easily bring them with me in my carry-on. On a personal level, I love that Ritual is committed to sustainability. They're a female-founded B Corp, meaning they are holding themselves accountable long-term to not only think about their company's financial health, but also the health of people and our planet. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for limited time at ritual.com slash tilt. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash tilt for 25% off. Hey there, it's Debbie. I love making this show and sharing conversations about how to support our awesome neurodivergent kids. I've seen how even one little insight from an interview can spark a big shift in daily life. But I know that raising complex kids can be messy and lonely. And just when we think we figured it out, something comes up that boots us right back to feeling overwhelmed and stuck. That's why I've poured everything into creating a way for parents like us navigating complex parenting journeys to join together and chart a path that feels positive, hopeful, and doable. It's the brand new Differently Wired Club experience. In the club, you'll get personal support from me and other seasoned parent coaches, six live calls every month where you can connect and get your personal questions answered, the opportunity to learn directly from authors and experts like I have on this show, monthly themes for getting specific and tactical, an exclusive private podcast feed, and the best, most generous community of parents. Seriously, these folks show up for themselves and each other, and that right there is really everything. Because it's a daily reminder that we're not alone. Our kids aren't broken, and we have totally got this. The recently rebooted Differently Wired Club is on a brand new platform with its very own iOS and Android app. It is such a great space. 
However you learn, whatever your style, no matter the ages, genders, and neurodivergent profile of your children, the Differently Wired Club can help you cultivate the positive shifts you're hoping for. Join us today by going to tiltparenting.com slash club. That's tiltparenting.com slash club. I hope to see you on the inside. Before we kind of move on, you've used this word mindfulness, you've said mindful parenting. And again, there may be people listening to this episode who aren't even familiar with that concept or may have an idea of what being a mindful parent actually means. So would you mind just so we're on the same page defining it for us? Sure. Yeah, mindfulness can have this sort of woo-woo idea. It can seem like a really pie-in-the-sky idea, especially if you're struggling with attention and frustration and yelling and all of those things. It sounds like, sure, right. (laughs) Sometimes we think it means it's like being calm all the time, or sometimes we think it means like just not having any distracting thoughts. And that's none of that is true. (laughs) So mindfulness, I think of it as like a brain hack from like thousands of years ago where people were like, oh, if I stop going forward and doing, 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 going forward on autopilot all the time, right, which is kind of like the way we normally are, right, we're, we're just moving forward on autopilot, and we're thinking of the next thing and the next thing and whatnot. If I just stop doing and I practice just being, if I practice putting my attention into the present moment, whether it's putting my attention to my child who's right here or walking or doing the dishes or sitting down and breathing, we grow this sense of clarity and groundedness in all these different areas in our lives. So mindfulness is the intentionally putting your attention into the present moment with, this is very important, with an attitude of kindness and curiosity, right? So the opposite non-judgment, curiosity. And so this is different from the way we normally are thinking because our minds are kind of naturally making judgments and often in the future or the past or not where our bodies are. And what happens when we practice this is that as we practice this, we notice how cuckoo bananas distracted our brains are, first of all. (laughs) And we think, boy, I can't do this meditation thing, especially if you think the idea is to stop your thoughts, which it's not. We notice that our, they even call it monkey mind, right? That our minds are like monkeys jumping all around all over the place. But as we practice, each time we notice our mind wandering, bringing it back to something in the present moment, whether it's the the breath or sounds or our child, whatever it is, that we build the ability to be more present. And that has all these incredible benefits. So, you know, there are many well-regarded research facilities that have shown that it, it reduces anxiety, reduces depression, increases health outcomes all of these things. But for importantly for parents, it helps us to be less reactive. So what I think of is it helps us to, you know, when we're with our kids, sometimes we just, we just react, right? We're just saying something. It's often maybe something that has coming out of our parents' mouth. We just react. We're not necessarily pausing to kind of think about how we want to respond. And mindfulness is like a practice that can really help us build that mental pause muscle. It's that space between stimulus and response where you get to choose how you want to respond. And so if we are changing the way we communicate with our kids from the way our parents communicated with us, maybe we're trying to stop using threats and yelling and punishments and things like that. That was totally my go-to, by the way, is threats. That's like That's the thing that pops into my mind first. If we're trying to change that, we need to build that muscle of pause and then, okay, I see that threat. <laughs> I hear that threat in my head, but I'm going to actually choose a better response. And so this is this is one of the big, big benefits I think of it for mindfulness for parents and why it's such a very, very, very practical tool because also it has basically zero side effects. It's available to anybody. It can be done in tiny doses. <laughs> it's just uncomfortable. Maybe if you've tried it, you sit still and you notice your mind is like a crazy monkey jumping around. That's not comfortable. We want to like get up and do. We have this, I got to get out of here feeling. Sometimes if we sit still, especially if we're like a parent of an ADHD kid who may be ADHD themselves, right? We get that feeling. 
But the weird thing is, is that over time, that feeling of like, I got to get out of here lessens and dissipates. And, and actually that sitting through the discomfort of that kind of feeling is a benefit in and of itself. And that may sound like not so exciting to you, (laughs) dear listener, but think about this. Like if your kid is going through something that's really hard or you have a really, uh, you know, a tantrum or a frustration, or you, maybe you have a teenager, they're going through something really hard. It can be hard to stay with somebody else when they're going through that stuff. But if you have a practice where you know that I can sit for three minutes, five minutes in a little bit of discomfort, and actually it has benefits, and and actually I serve, I'm okay, I'm not going to die from this. <laughs> It allows you to then sit in those challenging moments with your kids. But I think more than that, so more than that is that it also allows us to be there in the really great moments, in the moments where we want to, when we want to love our kids, right? How many times do we get to like a a beautiful vacation and we we have nothing to do, we have all the time we want to connect with our kids and we can't because our brains are going a million miles in a million other directions, the only place we can love our kids is in the present. We can't love them in the future. We can't love them in the past. And that love itself is can be its own discomfort. It's really interesting. But yeah, it's about being, being present, being able to make conscious choices, being present for the challenges and for the beauty. That's so beautiful. And I feel like I've up-leveled myself a little bit more of my understanding of this. I mean, I've read your books. We've talked. I know a lot about this intellectually or cognitively, but the embodied experience is really still hard for me. I have a list of questions as I always do when I have an interview. And I one of my questions simply says, I have failed at meditation. Is that okay? And so just hearing you even explain three to five minutes feels even better for me. Full disclosure, I I run like I am always busy. And I'm like, that's my meditation because I always have to be doing a million things. And that is how I kind of self-regulate because I don't want to be sitting still. I don't want that quiet time. And so I kind of challenged myself to try to do like a 21-day program on, I think it was the Calm app, right? To get into. I'm like, all right, I'd really just need a deeper well of resources here. I think I started it two months ago, and I've done like 13 days of it. And those meditations are like 12 to 15 minutes. And it's almost unbearable for me. I can feel better afterwards, but getting myself to do that is really hard. So that might be TMI. But I say that because I want to know, is being mindful? Is it just meditation? Are there different ways that this can look if there are people listening like me who feel that that kind of traditional meditation approach isn't available to us for whatever reason? Yeah, it's not just sitting meditation. Although I would say sitting meditation is kind of the gold standard, like let's practice to stop. And probably it's something we're developing right now. So probably by the time this is out, we're actually going to have like a getting started with mindfulness, like mini course on the Mindful Mama Mentor website. And it will have three minute meditations. I think that 12 minutes can be an enormous amount of time when you're first starting. And that's okay. That's just how human brains work. And it's it can be really uncomfortable. But three minutes actually can be beneficial. And there are a bunch of other ways to practice. I was reading about mindfulness for maybe 10 years before I actually got to finally sitting down and meditating. And then I finally was able to sit down and meditate. And I, after a couple of months, I really thought, I was like, I'm not doing anything but sitting here thinking the whole time, this is just not working for me. And, but I realized then that I had, when I looked at the rest of my life, that there was a big change and that I wasn't falling into sort of these pits of, depression, uh, feeling unable to handle life, panic attacks, things like that. I had two months of not falling into those while I had been meditating. I was like, wow, that's a really, really big change for me, you know, because for 27 years of my life until then, that's that was pretty regular for me. So you can feel like you're failing in the practice and it can be actually having an effect on the rest of your life. And, and there are brain scans show how it changes the brain and things like that. But you can also 
do things like another practice that I think is really helpful and a really good starter practice is mindful walking. When my kids were little, they used to go to this Montessori school that's like a, just like basically a block from my house. And they only went for three hours in the morning. <laughs> it was such a short amount of time that I would literally run home <laughs> to get all the things done that I wanted to get done. And then after a little while, I realized like I was just like, it was making me so anxious, like trying to squeeze all this stuff in. So I thought, okay, I got to practice what I preach here. And let me just (laughs) slow down and practice some mindful walking for this short walk home. And so I did. I started just walking slowly, feeling my breath, feeling my feet on the earth, noticing what's around me just really just practicing to be in the in the present moment with what was there and yes it did take longer to get home but surprisingly i ended up like kind of getting more done feeling more relaxed it really really improved my days what because i wasn't hurrying because hurry actually triggers that fight flight or freeze stress response anytime your nervous system notices that you're hurrying you're in a stress response because our ancient ancestors <laughs> if you they ever had to hurry there was trouble, right? Like, as you just didn't have to hurry if you were a hunter-gatherer with no watch. Anyway, but mindful walking, like you can just take, if you drop your kids off at a place, you know, you could practice walking slowly and breathing, you know, from the car to the entrance. You could practice walking slowly and breathing up and down your street. And there's a really lovely practice from the Plum Village tradition from Thich Nhat Hanh. And I like doing this when you're walking, you breathe in and you say, I have arrived. And you breathe out and you say, I am home. I've arrived. I am home. And you can follow it with in the here and in the now if you want. But it's just like a little reminder. And I find those sometimes more helpful than just like sensations and things like that this like little some little words in my head to kind of guide my thinking to like yes I am I'm gonna actually be here so that's a lovely way to practice I love that I am an avid walker as well but as a New Yorker walking is like a sport like really I'm like oh I got this mile down to 15 15 or something so this is a something I will play with because I like this idea of mindful walking seems doable I have an idea for you Go do all your normal New York walk and then just the last block. Just pick the last block, just pick one full block and just make that block a slow, mindful block and just do one block. Okay, I can do that. That's doable, right? Yeah, it is totally doable. Thank you for that. I want to talk about your new book. So we're going to take a quick break and then we will get into it. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Coe, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, You'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. 
Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. So you have a new book that has come out. It is called Raising Good Humans Every Day, 50 Simple Ways to Press Pause, Stay Present, and Connect with Your Kids. Can you tell us about how this book came about and how it's different from Raising Good Humans? Sure. Yeah, I wanted to make this as easily digestible as possible. So I've been doing the Mindful Parenting, formerly named the Mindful Mama podcast for 10 years now. And I've had so much information on so many different places in so many different areas of parenting from so many incredible guests that I wanted to expand on raising good humans. And I love the idea of something that can you can read a chapter in three or four pages. Raising Good Humans really focuses on how to take care of our triggers and mindfulness, as well as communication, right? Like, which I feel like are the most essential things. And I touch on these in Raising Good Humans Every Day, but I also get to, with the format of the 50 short chapters, expand into like our home schedules, our environments and, and things like that, which I really, really enjoy. And just kind of breaking everything down into tiny bite-sized pieces. Like there's a chapter, be a calm mountain and um, talk about a, a practice to help you like embody the sense of I'm calm and steady like a mountain. So it's about taking all these like sort of bite-sized bits and you can open it anywhere and find some practical resources for whatever your challenge is. Yeah, I mean, personally, I love the format of it. I used to write books for teens. And one of the things that I love about writing for teens, and I I think I still even for adults write in this way, I want it to be really accessible. I want it to feel not super text heavy that I lose the plot because of my own monkey brain. And so this feels like, yeah, you can dive in, you can learn a concept, and then you have an action step for each one. So here's how you actually implement it in your life. So I love the format. Was it fun to write? What was the process like for you in getting this out? Yeah, it was fun to write. It was fun to write. More fun than writing Raising Good Humans, although that's fine. And I actually got to read it myself, which was kind of fun too, if you're interested in the audiobook. But yeah, I'm really interested in very, very practical pieces. There's like how to be less busy, how to help create helpful kids and things like that. There's all kinds of little little pieces like that. So yeah, I, I really had a good time. It was so exciting that I was like, oh, I guess I actually am a writer. I've written this book. People around the world like this book. I guess I'm a writer. I can write another book. And I wrote, I wrote this book. So <laughs> it, it was an exciting, exciting en- endeavor to do this. You are a writer, and I will say that is something my husband still like jokes with me. Like, I've written a number of books, many of which were for teens, some Blues Clues books. Like, I have a lot of books on my bookshelf with my name on them, and I still will say to my husband, Yeah, but I'm not a real writer. He's like, Okay, how many books do you need to write? until you acknowledge that you are a writer. This is another conversation. So I won't go down this rabbit hole. But anyway, you are a writer. So yes, I was wondering if you could share a couple like tips from this. So if we look at kids who are going through a hard time while we're going through a hard time, do you have a strategy or two that you could share with us for how parents can in that moment show more compassion for a child, especially if we're getting triggered ourselves. And we're just having a hard time wrapping around why they're having a hard time. Yeah, I mean, I think that that those are the toughest moments, right? When when everybody's upset, and we're upset because they're upset. And we you know, it's just like the chaos seems to multiply. And those those are the hardest times. In those times, I think that we sometimes our brain like wants to blame others. Sometimes, you know, we want to fix the problem so we can just make it go away. All of these things can be things that we try to do, um, but we can't be effective in those moments when our stress response is activated because we don't have access to our whole brain. Just as when our kid is stressed out, they don't have access to their whole brain. Their nervous system is cutting off access to the prefrontal cortex, and the same is happening for us. We have flipped our lids, our, our Dan Siegel lids, right? <laughs> and we're, we're not 
talking to the slower parts of the brain, which are really important, right? Responsible for impulse control, verbal ability, problem solving. These are the parts of the brain we need to make good decisions. So in those moments where our kid's upset, when we're upset, we need to take care of ourselves. We're in a moment, right, where we really want to take care of our kids. To take care of our kid is to take care of ourselves because we're not going to give them anything unless we ourselves are somewhat grounded, right? So we want to calm that stress response. And there are ways to do this. We just, in the challenge is, is recognizing, oh, this is the hardest part, right? So I talk about this, like how to stop yelling. And the first, I talk about the three R's, recognize that you've been triggered, remove yourself if you need to, this is the optional step, and then use your resources. But the first and the hardest step is to recognize and just to say, this is a lot for me right now. I need a break. I need to take a minute. That's really hard to say, I'm feeling frustrated or I'm feeling a lot. You know, you're feeling a lot. I'm feeling a lot. Just to recognize what's happening and say, this is a bell of mindfulness. This is a bell of waking us up to, oh, I'm in a dysregulated state and I need to regulate myself if I'm going to be any help. So that's the hardest part is to do that, is to recognize that we're triggered. But we can practice that. That that can be done. <laughs> we can visualize it. We can practice it. And then once we've recognized it, you might need to remove yourself. You know, you might need a break. And then either way, we're going to use some of those resources to calm that stress response to help us become more regulated. And we can use resources, body and mind are one. We can use resources like the breath. It's cliche because it works when we exhale longer than we inhale. It sort of puts the body back into that rest and relax response. So we can breathe in for four, breathe out for six, and do that maybe four to six times. We can put a hand on our heart, have that soothing touch. We can tell ourselves, this is not an emergency. This is not an emergency, right? I am helping my child. I'm helping my child. Or even like, I'm going to be a calm mountain. (laughs) I'm going to be a calm mountain. Or breathing in, I'm like a mountain. Breathing out, I can feel calm, right? So we're... We're using the body, like using the breath, and then we're using the mind. We're using them in conjunction to resource, to calm down. And so those are just two of the resources that are in this book. But it's really about that recognizing. And then once you recognize that you're totally dysregulated, that's when you can say, okay, what what are my resources? That's great. That feels doable. I always forget in the moment what I'm supposed to be doing. Like I know that the breath can get your kind of autonomic nervous system back on track and can really calm down that anxious response. But I, I'm i like, do I have to breathe it in, hold it for a certain amount of time, then I get breathless, then I want to exhale really quickly. You know, I start to kind of get in my head about this process. So I appreciate you walking through that. I know, because there are so many kinds of breath- breathing. Just a longer exhale. Just pick a number that's longer than the number of your inhale. <laughs> yeah. Simple. Okay, I can do that. And the the visual of the calm mountain also, it's really powerful. I want to just touch upon, I mean, we could, there's 50. So again, go to Hunter's Instagram, because you've been walking through all your chapters. But one of the ones that jumped out at me is how to stop seeing yesterday's child. I think that is so relevant for this community in particular, because we may be really involved and aware of and invested in challenges and advocacy and kind of really have this very clear idea of who we think our child is. And it can be really hard to shift that, I think. And so we might go into situations with yesterday's kid in mind. So can you just talk a little bit about why it's so important that we don't do that? Yeah, our brain is always predicting the future, right? It's like in this in this dark cave in our heads, always trying to predict the future and keep us safe, depending on what it knows from the past. So it makes a lot of sense that we are, you know, we're maybe labeling our kids or we're making assumptions about them and things like that. And and that can be useful, of course, at times, right? We don't want to be rethinking why we brush our teeth every day. We want to just brush our teeth. But with our kids, 
we don't want to pigeonhole them, right? Because our expectations for them can be self-fulfilling prophecies. You know, we can we can treat them a certain way without giving them the opportunity to grow in depth or, or whatever changes they're making. And our kids are like a river you never step into twice, right? And they are growing and changing so, so fast. And it's the same with us, of course, too, but it happens more slowly. But with our kids we can easily say like, he's the sporty one, she's the hyperactive one, whatever, right? They always do this, they never do this kind of thing. And I think it really gives them an opportunity to grow when we can say, huh, I wonder who you are today. And this is this idea of beginner's mind. And and this is the idea of openness rather than judgment. And just imagine if we could look at our kids as a stranger looks at our kids or look at our kids with fresh eyes and just be open to what they have you know to say and what they notice and what they're interested in and it's going to be different it's going to be changing all the time this is really hard you know so I'm, i have a kid my teenage daughter is is struggling with a chronic pain issue and has been for a number of, or a couple of years now and it's been really hard to, in this way, like accept where she is now compared to where she was. That's been really hard for me. But I think this practice of being open to who they are, it helps us to really listen, to listen and to question our own assumptions. And I think that our kids really need that from us, right? Because they just want to be seen and heard. They want us to accept them for who they are right here, right now, today. And that's like the the most beautiful way we can show unconditional love, right? So it's this idea of, let me start to question my own assumptions. Let me push back against them. Let me be open to what is really here. That's so great. Again, we don't have time to go through all 50 of these. I just wanted to share a couple of them because you really cover so much ground in here. You have a chapter, my parents' voice is coming out of my mouth. How do I make them stop? how to talk to older kids. You do have one called Be a Calm Mountain. What can I do when kids fight? Which I think is just such a tricky situation, especially in households where there's one or more neurodivergent siblings. How can I create helpful kids? Take in the good permission to get help. It's just almost like the handbook that we need to navigate so many different types of situations. And again, because it is digestible, and you can flip it open and get what you need in that moment. It's really practical and useful. So I'm really happy and grateful that you got this book out into the world. I'm happy that we could talk about it today. We covered a lot of ground. So thank you for going all over the place with me and my brain. Is there anything we didn't like touch upon or something that you would want my listeners to make sure they take away from this conversation? I mean, I think that what I often like to leave people with is the the fact that we, you know, we do need to give ourselves permission to be human. I'd like to, I like to underscore that because it's so, so true that we always need permission to be human. But also I just want to remind people that like our brains are plastic. They're constantly growing and changing depending on what we do. And what we practice grows stronger. So whatever you want to practice, you can grow that stronger. Sometimes I think it's so funny when people are like, oh, Hunter, like your voice is so calm and you know, just just calm me down when I I talk to you. And I'm always like, wow, that's so funny. Cause like, that's just like not (laughs) how I was from, but I needed to practice some calm in my life. And and apparently it grew a lot stronger. It's just funny that I think of, to think of myself that way, because it's not how I thought of myself for most of my life. Right. But yeah, what we practice grows stronger. So don't give up on yourself and your ability to show up in the way you want to show up. Just practice. That's great. What a wonderful note to end this on. And I think that you should, if you haven't already, like start a line of t-shirts with permission to be human on the front. Like I would totally buy that. That'll be the next bit of t-shirts we put out we just fit found a merchandise place so we're putting out new lines of t-shirts so i will do that i will do that soon <laughs> oh how exciting <laughs> 
I would wear that shirt. I love it. I like that reminder. Listeners, I will have links to my last conversation with Hunter, both of Hunter's books, all the resources that we talked about today. So anything that kind of came up in conversation, go to the show notes page and you can access that as well. And is there a favorite place that you want listeners to check out your work? Sure. Everything is at mindfulmamamentor.com. You can find the Mindful Parenting podcast there. And if you have anything you want to say to me on social media, I'm at Mindful Mama Mentor. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for this conversation. We went way over time and I apologize and am grateful for that. So thank you for going into all of this today and for what you do in the world. Thank you, Debbie. And thank you. I appreciate your friendship and I appreciate what you do. And I appreciate you have such a grounding presence too. Do you know that? No, I did not know that. (laughs) Yes. Yes, you do. You are like a vision of stability, at least for me in my life. And I'm like, Debbie can do it. I can do it. So thank you. You've been listening to the Tilt Parenting Podcast. If you want to learn more about today's guest and the resources we talked about, you can always go to the extensive show notes page on tiltparenting.com. There you'll find key takeaways, links to all the resources that were discussed, and even a full transcript of our conversation. Just go to tiltparenting.com slash podcast and select this episode. The Tilt Parenting Podcast is hosted by me, Debbie Reber, author of the book Differently Wired and the founder of Tilt Parenting. And it was edited by my wonderful producer, Andrea Curtis Amasquita. If you want to support this show, please consider joining my Patreon campaign and making a small monthly contribution. Just go to patreon.com slash tilt parenting to learn more. If you want to follow tilt on social media, go to at tilt parenting on Instagram and Facebook. Lastly, please take a minute to leave a five star rating or review on Apple podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts that helps the show stay visible so others can easily find it. Thanks so much. And that's all for this week. Stay safe, stay well, and take good care. And for more information about any of the parenting resources Tilt offers, visit TiltParenting.com. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.